lives. All right, guys, today we're going to be wrapping up uh, our series that we've called Piercing the Darkness. Uh, We have been in this series for a long time. It started out to be a four-weeker, turned into a 17-weeker. So today we're going to be trying to wrap it up, so i got to take all 17 weeks and try to put it into a a finale here. Um, But yeah, it's been crazy to to turn into 17 weeks. But it's also crazy that it's almost June. Have you thought about that? Where the year's almost half done. It's just nuts. But anyways, today we're going to wrap up the entire series, but also we're going to wrap up the topic that we started last week. Uh, Last week I talked about how there are five big questions that we need to provide people answers to for the people that we are discipling. Uh, These are questions that everyone has, and unfortunately often many Christians do not have the answers to them. Well, Whitestone, we must. We must have the answers. And Uh, Last week, just to kind of do a little review, we talked about question number one is who is God and how do we get to know Him? Uh, And we learned that if we want to get to know our unseen God, we need to get to know who? Jesus, exactly, because Jesus revealed God to us. He was God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. So when we get to know Jesus, we get to know God, okay? We then moved into question number two, which is who are we? And what is our purpose? And we talked about how every person wants to know why they exist. Why are we here? How do we even get here? And we talked about how the Bible teaches us that God created us. And not only did he create us, but he created us in his image. We were created to look like God, to image him on this earth in the physical seen realm. And we were created for a purpose, to rule. We were created to rule this earth. In Genesis 1.26 it says, Let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, everything that moves along the ground. Mankind was created to rule over all of it. And we learn that ruling in the kingdom of God is actually what? Serving, exactly. So technically we were created to serve the earth around us. And we were created to do it in a relationship with God, connected to our source. God created a perfect world, and we were created to rule over it with him. Which led us to question number three. What in the world went wrong? I mean, you don't have to look very far, and we can see that we are far from perfection. The world is in chaos. The earth is struggling. Uh, Scripture actually tells us that all creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. That's some serious pain that it's in. You look across the earth and you see devastation and destruction. So what in the world happened? And the answer that the Bible teaches us is sin. Sin entered the world. God's enemy, Satan, deceived mankind into sinning against God. And when sin entered the world, so did what? Death. Death entered the world. Sin brings death. And when Adam and Eve sinned, Death was brought into the world, and it has just continued to get worse and worse since then. The penalty of sin is death and destruction, and we can clearly see that all around us. Now, that catches us up to speed with where we ended last week, and today we're going to pick up with question number four. And what is question number four? Here it is. What is God's solution to this mess? Now, in addressing this question... I truly think it's important that the people you're trying to disciple 
that they get shown the panoramic view of the spiritual battle that's going on. They need to see how the kingdom of darkness is trying to thwart the plans of God. The kingdom of darkness is against God, and it's trying to destroy anything and everything it can with God's creation. When they see that, they'll see why the world is full of suffering and hurt. And I think that's an important thing to cover with with everyone that we're, we're talking to. Now, remember, as I just mentioned, last week we talked about how mankind was created to rule the earth. But when we chose to sin, we in a sense became slaves to Satan. We essentially handed our authority of the earth over to him. And in doing so, Satan became the ruler of this world. Let me show you. I'm not sure if you paid attention to this, but when Jesus came onto the scene, three times he addresses Satan, and he gives him this title. John 12, 31, it says, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What's the title he gave Satan? Ruler of this world. John 14, 30, it says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. John 16, 11, it says, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. Three times Jesus is talking about Satan, and he uses the word ruler. Now, that word ruler in the Greek is archon. Archon means ruler, leader, or governor. So in the Greek, that word archon is the head leading individual. And Jesus three times calls Satan the archon or the ruler of the world. Satan was the ruling authority. Well, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Luke. I thought you said man, man was supposed to be the ruling authority. Well, we were supposed to be. But Satan usurped our authority when we chose to obey him and disobey God. And in doing so, Satan became the ruler of the world. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil, by Satan? Satan took him up on the last temptation. He took him to the top of a mountain. And and this is what it says in Matthew 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, at this point, if you read the passage, Jesus doesn't say, Satan, you're full of baloney, man. That's a lie. He doesn't say that. He knew that Satan was the archon. He did have all the authority of the kingdoms on the earth, but he refused to bow to Satan. He knew that to bow to Satan would be to do the very same thing Adam and Eve did, and that would be catastrophic. Instead, he only chose to obey his father. And here's the cool part about Jesus. If you pay attention to Jesus, during his ministry on the earth, he is plundering the kingdom of darkness everywhere he goes. He is healing the sick. He is casting out demons. He is preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand and that mankind can participate in it. Mankind can be set free from the kingdom of darkness by putting their trust in him and following him. And Satan in the kingdom of darkness is furious and trying his best to destroy Jesus everywhere he turns. You'll see, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is often, they try to stone him. They try to throw him off of a cliff. I personally believe that that storm on the lake where Jesus was sleeping in the boat and the boat almost gets capsized, I believe that that storm was satanically induced. Satan wanted to get rid of this Jesus because they couldn't stop him. 
And we know what eventually happened. Finally, Satan orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus, had him put to death at the hands of the Romans. All the while, what Satan didn't know is that God was the one who was truly orchestrating everything. Satan didn't know that he was sealing his own fate and the fate of the kingdom of darkness. Now, we looked at this passage earlier in the series, but look at it again because it has everything to do with this. In Colossians 2, uh, verses 13 through 15, it says this, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were what in your sins? Dead. Does that mean barely alive? Does that mean barely breathing? No, what does it mean? We were dead in our sins, okay? Now, when we were dead in our sins, God made you alive with Christ. Now, how in the world, when we were dead in our sins, did he make us alive with Christ? Well, this is what he did. God forgave us all our sins. Now, how in the world could he forgive our sins? Our sins, because we sinned, we deserve death. How could God forgive us our sins? Here's how he did it. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. He took it away. Now, how did he do that? Well, let's talk about that. What was this legal indebtedness? What was this legal charge against us? Here it is. If you sin, you deserve what? Death. Okay? So if you've sinned, you have to die. That's that's the law. Okay? There's no getting around it. And that was the legal chokehold that Satan had over every single one of any human being who sinned. So here's the reality. Let's say that Emily, because she sinned, what does she deserve? Death. Okay? So Jesus, what he did is he took all of Emily's sins, and what did he do with it? He took her sins, and he nailed them to the cross, and then what did Jesus do on that cross? He died for them. So he took her sins, nailed them to the cross, and then he died. He paid the penalty for those sins. So now when Satan comes to Emily and says, hey, Emily, you've sinned. You deserve to die. You have to die. What can Emily say? Somebody already died for them. The death has been paid. And suddenly Satan loses his legal chokehold over Emily. He doesn't have any power over Emily anymore. Because Jesus took it away. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. Now look at verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now do you see that? He disarmed the powers and authorities. Tell me, when somebody has a weapon and you disarm them, what do you do? What are you doing when you disarm them? You're taking it away, right? Okay. So... Jesus, when he disarmed the powers and authorities, he stripped them of their authority. He stripped them of the rights they once had, that legal hold they had. And in doing so, he made a public spectacle of them by the cross. In other words, Satan and the powers and authorities of darkness figured that they were taking Jesus off the stage and wiping him off the map. What they did not know is that by dying on the cross, Jesus actually took front and center stage. Jesus took our legal indebtedness, and he reclaimed the authority that Adam and Eve lost. Now, Jesus carries all the authority on the earth, not Satan anymore. Don't believe me? Let me show you. 
You see that verse on the wall? We call that the Great Commission. Okay, we've been talking about that verse for a long time. Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go out into the world and extend the kingdom of God, to make disciples, to baptize them, to immerse them into the power and authority of the Trinitarian God, and to teach them to obey everything he's commanded. That's pretty big stuff that he's asking his disciples to do. But here's what I want you to see. The reason that Jesus can even do this The reason why Jesus can commission these disciples and empower them to go out into the world is because what it says in verse 18. Okay? That's verse 19. And tell me, what's the very first word there on that wall in verse 19? Therefore. Therefore. What's the rule when you see the word therefore? You got to see what it's there for. So for us to see what it's there for, we got to back up to verse 18. Let me show you what verse 18 says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? How much does that leave out? None. None at all. Now, this is important. You will need to teach this to the people you're discipling and make sure they get this because this is huge. As you know, Jesus came to this earth as a little baby boy. Born in Bethlehem, God became man, God in the flesh. Jesus' title was the Son of Man, meaning that Jesus was a man. He was a human being. Now, why was it important that Jesus be a man? Well, there's probably many answers to that. I want to give you three, three big ones. Here they are. Jesus needed to be a man Because a human being had to die to pay the perfect sacrifice for the sins of this world. If you remember in the Old Testament, God had set up a sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed for the sins of people. But in Scripture it tells us that the blood of the animals did not take away the sins of the world. It only covered them. When Jesus shows up on the scene and he dies and he sheds his blood, what did Jesus' blood do for the sins of the world? took it away. It didn't just cover it, it took it away. So Jesus had to be human to pay the perfect sacrifice, a perfect human being. Not only that, Jesus needed to be a man because being a man, he was a faithful, merciful, and understanding high priest. In other words, it'd be easy for us to say, Jesus, you have no idea what it's like to be a human being. You haven't gone through what I've gone through. Oh, yes, he has. He knows what it's like to be a man. He knows what it's like to be human. He suffered as we have suffered. He's been through what we've been through. He knows the plight of mankind. Why? Because he was human. And here's the last reason I want to point out why Jesus needed to be a man. And this one's huge, and many people don't know it or understand it. Jesus needed to be a man Because man needed to reclaim the rule over this earth. Remember what we talked about last week? God said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them what? Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over everything that moves along the ground. Let man rule it. God had ordained that mankind be the rulers of the earth. Man was supposed to be the archon, not Satan. Now, tell me, third service, 
What's wrong with Satan being the archon of the earth? What's wrong with Satan being the ruler of this earth? Is Satan a man? What is he? He is an angel, exactly. And God did not ordain angels to rule over the earth. He said that man is supposed to rule the earth. Well, Jesus became a man. He was obedient to his father his whole life. He went to the cross. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He stripped them of their rule and authority. And now he became the archon of the world. He has all authority on this earth now. And Jesus is a man. Mankind, once again, is the ruler of this earth. Not an angel. Not Satan. And Jesus will never lose that authority for the rest of eternity. He will never fail like Adam and Eve did. That's why Jesus had to become a man. And you will need to gently and patiently instruct the people that you're discipling. They have to get this. So what I'm trying to get you to see is that Jesus really is the answer to question number four. What was God's solution? Jesus was, plain and simple. He came and did what was necessary to set mankind free from the kingdom of darkness. He came to reclaim the authority over the earth back from Satan, put it back into the hands of mankind, and also he came to allow mankind to participate in the kingdom of, kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And that happens when man chooses to believe in Jesus. Guys, Jesus is the solution the world needed. Amen? All right, let's keep going. The last question you need to answer for the person you're discipling is this. What is my role and opportunity in the kingdom of God? In other words, they're going to come to this point and say, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? What, what's, my, what's my opportunity? What's my role here? What is my life supposed to be? Now, let's just review a bit. But by believing in Jesus, and by the way, guys, I'm touching back on sermons we've covered in the last 17 weeks. By believing in Jesus, we are now able to participate in the kingdom of God. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a new life as well. A life where we can experience the power of the kingdom of God, the peace of the kingdom of God, the joy of the kingdom of God. And why? Because we have been born again as sons and daughters of God. We've been regenerated. We've once again been connected to our source. God's spirit is in us. And you're going to have to take your time explaining this and getting them to understand this. It's powerful and it's life-changing. What you're getting them to see is that now, because of all this, they now can obey the commands of Jesus and live the abundant life. Because they're regenerated. They're connected to their source, which allows them to experience salvation. Which salvation, simply put, is deliverance from sin. And they get to experience that in their everyday lives. Now, this part, once again, is far more believable for them if you are living it and experiencing it yourself. If you simply say, hey, I know I look like the world and I sin like the world and I'm, I'm messed up like the world. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. That's the only difference. I'm still a messed up sinner that continually, I'm just a mess. If you tell them that, that certainly won't impress them. If they see that in your life, that will not impress them. Why would they want that kind of life? They already have it. 
But if you're experiencing this salvation, if you're experiencing this supernatural life being lived through you, let me tell you something, they'll want it. So in other words, keep living like Jesus. Your life is important. Like we said last week, it either endorses what you're teaching or it takes away from it. But if you live like Jesus, you can teach them and explain to them what the kingdom of God is. You can explain what the activity of God looks like and that they can experience it themselves by following Jesus. Remember, that's the good news Jesus proclaimed. That was the gospel of Jesus. Anyone can participate in the kingdom of God by believing in Jesus. Poor people and rich people. Sick people and healthy people. Ugly people and pretty people. Everybody can participate in the kingdom of God by believing in Jesus. And it's, it's at this point that you're going to need to explain to them that they themselves have a kingdom. It would help to just take them through and explain to them they have circles of influence or a kingdom over which they have rule. Okay, So you're going to have to take them through those circles that we've talked about before when at the beginning of the series, all the circles of our kingdom. So let's start again. Let's refresh our mind. Refresh our mind here. What's the center? Yeah, it's me. It's just me at the center. What's the second circle? Family. All right, what's the third circle? Money and possessions. Okay, what's the fourth circle? It's getting quieter and quieter. <laughs> Remember, it's work, place where we work. Okay, and then lastly, somebody said it three times. Last one, friends, exactly, and community, okay? All right. So that, they have, each one of the people that we're talking to, they all have a kingdom like that. They all have these circles of influence, a kingdom over which they have rule, okay? They need to be taught that. And ruling in the kingdom of God is what, again? Serving. So what you're going to teach them is really what they have the opportunity to do is to serve in each one of these circles. So how do they do that? Well, you're going to teach them that the opportunity before them is to align their kingdom under the rule and activity of God's kingdom. So all the activity in all the circles of their kingdom needs to be lined up with God's activity. In other words, God's activity needs to be flowing through each one of their circles. That's the opportunity that they have. Now, how do they do that effectively? Remember, once again, they are connected, so they're connected to their source, but how do they learn to do that effectively? Let me tell you. They disciple themselves after Jesus. Guys, we need to be disciples of Jesus. We have to. There's no getting around that. Let me do an analogy for you. Jerry, could I get you to come up here, bub? <clears throat> so this is Jerry. Everybody say, hi, Jerry. Jerry, say hi, everybody. Hi. Okay. So stand over here, Jerry, if you can. Uh, Jerry, do you think that Jesus could step into your life and live Jerry's life perfectly? Okay, so he could, be, he could be you, perfectly. Okay, could he step into your marriage and be a perfect husband to your wife? Could he be a perfect father to your children? Okay, could he handle your money and possessions perfectly? He does. Okay, 
could he, if he stepped yes. into your life, he could do it yes. perfectly. All right, could he go to your work and do your work perfectly? Yes. Okay, and could he handle your friends and community perfectly? Yes. Okay. Now, Jerry has just told me that Jesus could step into all the circles of his kingdom and he could do it perfectly. So what does that tell us, or who does that tell us that Jerry needs to be following? If Jerry wants to rule his kingdom effectively and well, he had better be following Jesus because Jesus can do it perfectly. So he's got to learn from Jesus to do that. Amen? Give it up for Jerry. Yes, Jesus could live your life out perfectly. So that's why we need to follow him. That's why we need to disciple ourselves after him. Why? Because he will show you how to live your life. He will show you how to rule your kingdom. He will show us how to perfectly live lives of love. So we learn from him so that we can imitate him. We believe in him so that we obey him. And bit by bit, our lives become more like him and God's kingdom comes and God's will is done in our circles of influence as it would be in heaven. That's why we follow Jesus. And I'll tell you, if you do that, the world will take notice. You're gonna have to take the time to work them through all this. They need to understand this. And once you do, when they come to understand that that's what, you, what you're asking them to do, you're going to have to take them to this very important point. Now, they may already be getting their heads around this, but you're going to have to teach this to them. For them to have God's activity flowing through each one of their circles, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to learn to die to themselves in order to live his life. Jesus said these words. Anyone who would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now those are tough words. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, anybody wants to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You don't get to do what you want to do anymore. What you want to do is off the table. Not only that, you must take up your cross and follow me. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, he was simply using a very vivid analogy of his day. In Roman crucifixion, when somebody was crucified, they were condemned for the crime that they did, and they were told, you are going to pay by execution of your life. And then, from that place to the place of their execution, what were they forced to do? carry their cross. So they had to carry their cross to the place of their execution. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think was running through their mind when they're carrying their cross to the place of their execution? My life is over. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying if anyone wants to come after me and follow me, you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross. In other words, your life as you know it, it's over. you got to follow me. Now, you might look at that and go, well, that's pretty harsh, Jesus. But he's saying, listen, when you learn to follow me and you deny yourself and you follow me, that's when my life is going to start to get lived out through you. That's when the abundant life is going to start to be lived out through you. Here's the beauty of that. The more and more we do that, the more and more we actually start to want what he wants. We want what he wants. Think of how awesome that is. 
what happens is that our wanter gets fixed. Because our wanter is pretty messed up. And trust me, we want our wanter to get fixed. We should want our wanter to want only what Jesus wants. (laughs) It's a lot of wants right there. (laughs) But to do that, we must first learn to die. Die to ourselves. Our wants must die. But guys, when we learn how to die, that's when we truly start to live. Because Jesus' life begins to be lived out through us. And that, my friends, is the abundant life. Why, son, when you have led a person to this point, you have led a person to become a disciple of Jesus, which that's what Jesus tells us to do. And let me tell you, that person will be off and running because he has the best rabbi anyone could ask for. He has the best teacher, the best coach, the best master, the best Lord anyone could ever ask for. And it's Jesus, and Jesus is the best, amen? And you will have led that person to him. And that's what we're called to do. Not lead them to a prayer, not lead them to a creed, not lead them to a religion, not lead them to a church. No, you will have led them to Jesus. And Jesus will transform their lives. So the question is, okay, where do we go from here? What's our next step as a little church family here in Wisconsin? Well, the title we've been given to this series is Piercing the Darkness. And so why so? that's what we must do. We must go forth and pierce the darkness. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus has given us directions on how to do that. It's right there. In fact, let's read that out loud together, okay? Can we do that? Those of you who are sitting over there, you're going to need to get a chiropractor on Monday. But let's look up there on the screen, or on that, whatever you call that. Ready? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's how we do it. That's how we do it, Whitestone. Let me end with this. Before Jesus' death, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he was saying that he was going to go away. He said, listen, I'm going to go away from you. And I'm sure that really messed with the disciples. They were like, oh, my word, where are you going? Why are you going? And they're probably freaking out. But Jesus said, but it's good that I go. It's actually better that I go. Because when I go, the Father is going to send someone to you. The Holy Spirit of God will come and he will be in you. Now, I'm pretty sure the disciples had no idea what he was talking about, but he told them that this was going to happen. Then, after his resurrection, let's fast forward a little bit further, they were eating a meal together, and once again, Jesus tells them something about this spirit again. And he says this, he goes, guys, don't leave Jerusalem, okay? But wait for the gift that my Father has promised which you've heard me speak about before. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? Holy Spirit. Well, let's fast forward a few more days forward, and he and his disciples are standing on the Mount of Olives. 
And Jesus is giving his disciples his final words, which he gives them the Great Commission right there. And then he says this. He goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to get this power. When the Spirit of God comes on you, the power is going to come on you. And you're going to be my witnesses to the world beyond. And when he speaks these words, suddenly he begins to rise up into the sky. And eventually a cloud takes them from view and they're staring up. And they look down and there's these two men dressed in white, two angels. And they said, what are you looking up there for? What did Jesus tell you to do? Wait for the gift that's coming. So they went back to Jerusalem and they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They waited. They waited and they prayed. And all of a sudden, one day, as they were praying, the very thing Jesus told them would happen, happened. As they're praying, the room was filled with the sound of a mighty rushing wind just tearing through the place. And suddenly fire was covering all over their heads. And they became became empowered with the Spirit of God. And they went out into Jerusalem. They began to preach the kingdom of God. And the power of God was being manifested in their lives. They not only went to Jerusalem, they went went to Judea and Samaria. And then to the outermost parts of the world. How? By the power of the Spirit of God in them. And from that day forward, the disciples went out into the world in power, in boldness, in the strength of the Lord. They went and they pierced the darkness. They went and made disciples. They baptized them into the name of God. They taught them to obey the commands of Jesus. They pierced the darkness. And the Spirit of God empowered them to do so. The Spirit of God empowered them to live holy lives. The Spirit of God empowered them to go forth in the name of Jesus and heal the sick. The Spirit of God empowered them to go forth in the name of Jesus and cast out demons and set the oppressed free. In other words, the Spirit of God empowered them to go out and carry on the same job, the same ministry that Jesus did when he walked the earth. They were now the body of Christ on this earth. They were now the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus on the earth. And they could be that because they had the Spirit of God in them. Amen? Well, guess what, Whitestone? So do we. So do we. We have that very same Spirit in us. So let's go out and let's do the same thing. Let's go out by the power of the Spirit of God in us and let's plunder the kingdom of darkness. Let's manifest the the power of the kingdom of God in us by living holy lives, by healing the sick, by casting out demons and setting the oppressed free. Jesus told us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers to go out and reap the harvest, to go out and do what he was doing. So Whitestone, let's do it. Let's pierce the darkness with the light of Jesus. Amen? That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for everything that Jesus did. Thank you that he reclaimed the authority back. 
Thank you that we can now go forth in that authority in the mighty name of Jesus. And we can manifest the power of the kingdom of God. But God, I'm sorry, your church, your bride, has not been manifesting that power. Your bride has been living a very weak life on this earth. Unfortunately, God, your bride has been showing the world that God is weak. He's powerless. And shame on us for that. God, I pray that you would work in our little family here at Whitestone and that we would become beacons of light. That by the name of Jesus, we would go forth in the power of the Spirit and that we would plunder the kingdom of darkness. That we would go forth into our circles of our kingdom. And may we reach people for Christ. May we set people free from the enemy. May we heal the sick, cast out demons, set the oppressed free. May we be the body of Jesus that we were meant to be. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, the name that has all authority in heaven and on earth. Let it be so. Amen. Guys, I love you very, very much. Have an amazing week. And if any of you guys would like to be prayed for, 